More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Hey, it's another episode of Survivor Sanctuary, and I'm your host, Kelly. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day and joining me here for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Well, today on the podcast, I want to talk about something that I experienced within the church and continue to experience to this day, but something that I remember starting very, very young in life. I'm trying to think of my first experience with churches boycotting various things in the world. And I can come up with some examples from my childhood. I remember that there was this book that the missionary families passed around. My parents got it eventually. And the book freaked me out. It was called like The Devil in the Toy Box. I think that that's the title. I'm going to find it and maybe link to it for you. But this was essentially a book talking about how like the majority of the toys that we play with as kids, uh, this was in the 80s at the time. I'm not sure if it was written in the 80s or if it had been around for a while at that point. But The Devil in the Toy Box basically demonized like every toy that I had ever played with. Like you weren't allowed to play with Smurfs because I guess with their blue faces, that meant that they were demonic. And somebody actually brought this up in conversation with me a couple of weeks ago and was saying, yeah, I remember Smurfs were evil, wasn't allowed to play with Smurfs because they were blue and demonic. And I'm like, yeah, that whole concept came from the book, The Devil in the Toy Box or Demons in the Toy Box. I know the book is out of print now, and the only thing that I could find that was like an equivalent, and maybe I'm not sure if it was rebranded at some point, but there's a book by Phil Phillips called Turmoil in the Toy Box. And I actually love reading the Amazon reviews about this book because it's kind of like split. There are some people who are like, Yeah, this is an example of the satanic panic of the 1980s, and it's the ramblings of a madman. And then other people are like, this is an amazing book. Uh, The principles of following Christ still apply today, and Satan is after our children, and it's very important that we fight this. You know, there are just some interesting reviews. We'll call them interesting. Um, In any case, I, I can't find the exact book, but this is just one example, and one of the first examples that I remember seeing as a kid, and I hated this book. You know, my parents had it because the missionaries just kind of passed it around from family to family. And I don't really know that either of them read it the whole way through. First of all, my mom hated to read. And so like we got her to read Little House on the Prairie books once and we were so proud of ourselves that she like read Little House in the Big Woods. She hated to read, still does. So I don't think that she was going to ban any of these toys. I'm not sure if my dad read it or skimmed through it, but I do know it was in our house for a while. And it just freaked me out, like reading about the devils and all these toys and how they were demonic somehow and infiltrating our lives 
with this intent for evil. I'm not really sure what exactly was evil. So I'm not sure if it's turmoil in the toy box. I don't remember it by that name and I don't remember the cover looking the same, but it was a book like that. And it was an example, as some Amazon reviewers said, of satanic panic in the 1980s. So I remember people thinking that everything was somehow tied to the occult. And that was going back to the Smurfs. It wasn't just a cute cartoon. It wasn't just innocence. It was laden with the occult and magic and things like that that were terrible. So I remember that from the 80s. I was probably like six, seven, eight years old when that book was making the rounds in the missionary circles that we were in in Indonesia. And I'm not sure whatever happened to that book. I happily didn't have to see it again after several years in the 1980s. So maybe we gave it back to whoever loaned it to us. But in addition to that, in the 90s, there was also this kind of panic about everything, quote, worldly, like everything that was from the outside, worldly music and worldly movies and worldly books and this and that. And it was like, you just were supposed to only read Christian books and listen to Christian music and I guess play with Christian toys. I'm not sure. But it was a big thing again, again, with a satanic panic and everything is related to the occult somehow. And there was a lot of that in my family home. And I think that one of the reasons was because we were in the charismatic and more Pentecostal and charismatic denominations. And I'm not picking one because we were a part of both. Like my dad liked to bounce from evangelical denomination to evangelical denomination. So I spent time in quite a few different ones. And so I would say that it's probably uh, the most prevalent, all of this like anti-worldly, everything is the occult and we need to boycott all this stuff. A lot of that happened in our charismatic time, but it happens in churches of all denominations as well, where the church kind of gets together as a whole, like the big C church, all Christians, regardless of denomination, we kind of just all have our panic. But instead of doing it within church services and in normal conversations, we sort of do it now online. Like a lot of it is on our social media. You see blog posts about different things that, you know, are horrible. I remember several years back, it was yoga pants. Oh, dear God, yoga pants <laughs> were the devil. And if a Christian woman wore them, she was leading men astray, et cetera, et cetera. But going back to the 90s and when we were in the charismatic slash Pentecostal movement and in those churches, there was a lot of this, you know, everything is evil, everything is demonic. I remember one church, it was an Assemblies of God church, they had a speaker come and his entire platform was that secular music was worldly and evil and we needed to keep our kids away from secular music. So like if my dad... (laughs) heard. This is kind of maybe not as traumatizing for me because I wasn't as into music as my sister was, but she was super into it. And like my dad was very anti-secular music. And the reason was because he was being told by all of his like Theo bros, as we would call them now, that it was horrible and that we needed to not allow our kids to uh, listen to it. And listen, this is not to say that, you know, secular music was never bad. Like if we're listening to music about murdering people or, you know, being sexually promiscuous or something that actually is detrimental to children. I'm not here to say that none of the things that the church rejected as I was growing up 
were indeed bad. You know, that's not my point. But my point is that the church spent a lot of time with these boycotts. And I remember one time in particular, I used to borrow movies, uh, Disney movies like The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and all those fun princessy Disney movies that were super, super popular in the 90s. They still are, but I'm talking specifically 90s because that's when I was like super into Disney movies. Well, I had a friend that I loved to borrow them from because my family, we didn't typically buy movies. We would just, you know, maybe borrow from the library or borrow from people we knew. So I had a friend who had all the Disney movies and we went to church together again and Assemblies of God Church and her parents decided one day, you guys can't watch Disney movies anymore because they're filled with magic. And again, it's the occult, you know, it's not just make believe it's evil and it's related to the occult. And if you watch it, you're letting Satan into your mind and your heart and your body. I don't even know. Don't know the reasoning behind it because I was a child. I just knew that it was a big thing. Like we're not going to watch this anymore. So naturally, instead of just giving away the movies, which would have made me so happy because we would have had a massive collection, they destroyed them. They put these VHS tapes. I'm aging myself so much right now. They put their VHS tapes down into a bucket of water to ruin them and like broke them all and destroyed them so that, you know, I guess they weren't perpetuating the evil and spreading it. They would probably laugh so hard right now. These girls whose family like decided they were going to drown their Disney movies. They'd probably laugh so hard um, because I don't think they're still in that mindset. But in the 90s, it was just a big thing. Our churches were constantly indoctrinating us like this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and you need to boycott this store, boycott orange juice or boycott Disney or boycott. There was always a reason to be boycotting something that was worldly, something outside of the church. And what does this have to do with sexual abuse? Well, I'm getting to that right now. Because honestly, while the way that we freak out about worldly, and I'm putting that in quotes, the way that we freak out about worldly things now as a church, it might look a little bit different because the way that we speak and the places that we post, obviously, in the early to mid 90s, we did not have social media. And so people weren't like writing these, you know, huge long blog posts and articles about the evils of Disney movies and certain toys and this and that. But while the mode of sharing these opinions has definitely changed, the thing that hasn't changed is the fact that we are still sharing these opinions. And the most recent one is I think that a lot of people are up in the air about the Disney movie Turning Red, which deals with a girl going through puberty. Egads, they discuss periods and like attraction to boys. And I guess kids being bratty and mouthing off to their parents really bothered a lot of people. And hey, I haven't seen the movie. I don't have kids. And so I'm not being subjected to Disney movies 36 hours a day like some of you are. And I totally feel for you. So I haven't seen it yet. But I've heard from different people, like some people just freaking out like, oh my gosh, this girl was drawing pictures of her favorite boy or like writing his name or something and sweating. And it was so uncomfortable. Like I had a girl who's a friend of mine. Um, She teaches and she was like, I couldn't let my students finish it. And she teaches in a public school and they were watching it. She turned it off. She's like, no, you're going to have to ask your parents if you can watch this. And okay, again, I'm not here to say there's nothing in that movie that's wrong. I'm not here to argue with a parent who's like, hey, I don't want my kid to see that. I've heard from other Christians who say, you know what? I watched this movie thinking, you know, oh no, it's going to be terrible. And they're like, honestly, I think it's great. I don't find anything wrong with it. I'm, I'm okay with this. And so I know that there are differing opinions. And again, not here to discuss what I think about the Disney movie turning red. But what I am here to discuss is the church collectively freaking out about things that are worldly, while leaving their own house, 
that is in extreme disarray, far away from that same microscope that they are inspecting every tiny little thing from the world with. And when I say their own house, I hope that you recognize I'm not talking about individual houses like you're a disaster, you've got Rainbow Bright, that was popular in the 80s. And yes, I'm pretty sure that it was mentioned in that book, Demons in the Toy Box, like Rainbow Bright is evil, occult, occult, Satan worship, etc. But I mean the house as in the church as a whole. The church is a disaster in so many areas, especially in the area of childhood sexual abuse and sexual predation in general, not even just with children, but children and adults alike. And I find it fascinating now, which I didn't as a kid because I just didn't understand. All I knew was the world is terrible and evil and Satan is out to get all of our children and cause them to have premarital sex and worship Satan. Like I didn't understand it as a kid because I was a kid, but the older that I've gotten and then starting to speak out about sexual abuse within the church, the blinders have kind of come off of my eyes. And it's just like, the church is a disaster. And we're seeing it in news stories every day. We're seeing it in, like, you just think of like, what's going on with Hillsong. And, you know, it's easy to blame this on a denomination and say, well, you know, obviously Hillsong is a mess because they are not real Christians, or they're in this like liberal denomination, or they're X or they're Y or they're Z. But honestly, it's very hard to pinpoint any denomination where you say, you know what, they've got it together and they're doing okay, because there are tons of cases of abuse, whether it's abuse of power, whether it's sexual abuse of adult parishioners, whether it's sexual abuse of children, there are so many stories and there's so much in the news and there is so much corruption within the church. And so I find it fascinating that the church spends so much time complaining and clutching their pearls over what's happening in the world while turning a blind eye to what's happening in their own churches. And I think the reason it's especially disturbing is because if you believe the Bible is the word of God, the Bible tells us not to do that. It tells us not to do that. If you read 1 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 13, Paul says, but now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a verbal abuser, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. And this is the zinger. What business of mine is it to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. So there, it's kind of like a step-by-step instructions. It doesn't say don't associate with anyone in the world who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater, a verbal abuser, a drunkard, or a swindler. It says not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother, but is any of those things. And then he goes on to say, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Or to judge those inside the church? Like those are specific instructions. If you believe that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit and that his words are literal instructions from God on how we should live, this tells us right here. It's none of our business what those outside the church do. It's none of our business. We are to judge those who are inside the church and we're to expel the wicked people from among us. So when I see so many people clutching their pearls over things that are going on in the world, I just have to scratch my head a little bit. Seeing a lot of people share opinions on the laws surrounding 
teaching about gender identity in schools or sexual orientation in schools, seeing people freak out when a magazine has someone transgender as their man or woman of the year, or the transgender swimmer in the news recently, Leah Thomas, who I've actually seen pastors post articles about Leah Thomas and just go on rants on Facebook about her. And again, I'm not here to debate whether these things should be taught in school. I'm not here to debate whether Leah Thomas should be allowed to swim with girls. I'm not here to debate any of that. Like that's not the point. The point is, it seems like these hot button topics that usually get a little bit partisan seem to be picked up by Christians. And those are the things that we are clutching our pearls over when we preach, when we post on social media, when we talk to people in general. It always seems to be these horrible things that are happening in the world. And oh, egads, what can we do? And I find it really interesting that pastors are posting about Leah Thomas someone who has literally nothing to do with the church, they're posting about her all day long and this is just terrible, men are men and women are women and gah, like just anger. And yet they're ignoring the huge, huge issues happening within the church. For instance, at the same time that the Leah Thomas story was really gaining traction, it was the same time that everything was happening at Hillsong and that whole thing was falling apart. And I just found it interesting like that pastors who had tons to say about Leah Thomas had nothing to say about one of the biggest global megachurches in the entire world, they had nothing to say about the despicable corruption infiltrating every campus across the world. Nothing to say about that, but everything to say about Leah Thomas. And I go back to what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, and that is to expel the immoral brother, to not associate with people who claim to be Christians, but are sexually immoral, greedy, idolaters, verbal abusers, drunkards, or swindlers. Don't even eat with those people. Expel the wicked man from among you. And then don't judge those outside. God will judge those outside. If somebody is not a part of the church, as far as someone who believes in Christ and is a Christ follower and is a part of the family of Christians worldwide, if they're not a believer, we don't have any business as Christians to judge them. And yet what I've seen in church pretty much from the time I was a child in the 80s is a whole lot of judging people outside of the church while turning a blind eye to some of the horrific things happening inside the church. And let me tell you, some of the things that Christians are willing to overlook would lead you to believe that they're very liberal with their forgiveness, very liberal with their religion and their politics, and would be accepting of almost anything. I find it crazy that we actually have churches where there are people in leadership who have admitted to having sexually abused children. I know I've mentioned him before on the podcast, but the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel in Mountain View, California, Bill Bjorkman, is a convicted child molester. He molested two children at his former job before he became a pastor. He served time in prison. He is a convicted sex offender having molested two male minors, and he became a pastor shortly after being released from Folsom State Prison for molesting two children. And 
He'd of course didn't tell the church. Only a few people in leadership knew this about his past. And once the story was about to break, obviously they told the church. It's now a part of his like amazing testimony. And the people in this church actually applauded when they found out that this was the deep, dark secret that Pastor Bjorkman had been carrying around. Of course, they only told because he was going to get found out. But once they told, the church actually broke into applause. And there were people in the church, men in the church, several of them, who told the pastor they felt they'd been carrying around their own dark secrets for far too long. And what a way to just give a pass to somebody who wants to sexually abuse kids or is sexually abusing kids or has in the past. What a great way to give them a pass. Well, our pastor is a child molester. He sexually assaulted these children, served time in prison for it, but we believe God can, you know, forgive anything. So now they have a pastor who oversees an entire congregation, including small children, who has served time in prison for sexually assaulting small children. And one of the congregants was actually quoted as saying that she would trust Pastor Bill with her children as she would trust her mother. It makes me, well, it makes me a lot of things. It makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me infuriated in a way that I have trouble putting into words. But it also blows my mind that people can talk about a man who committed lewd and lascivious acts with children under 14 years of age. We can talk about, oh, the forgiveness of the Lord. It's so amazing. You know, this pastor, sure, he sexually assaulted young teen boys, but bless God, he's forgiven and he's amazing. And I trust him with my own children. But these same people who are blessing God about Bill Bjorkman, the child molester and pedophile, who they willingly allow to be their pastor and to pastor their children, these same people are going online and clutching their pearls over Leah Thomas swimming with girls. Again, I'm not here to debate the rightness or wrongness of Leah Thomas competing against women. Not the point of this podcast. But the point is that Christians and those in church leadership are freaking out about stories like this, just freaking out, posting things online and saying how terrible it is and how awful it is and how we need to fight this and we need to get a Republican back in the White House, bless God, you know, all of these things. And when truly horrific things are happening within the church, we're hearing crickets. So when I say our own house is a disaster, that's what I'm talking about. They're turning a blind eye or they're just giving this blanket like God forgives everything and so will I about every horrific thing that's happening within the church and freaking out, clutching pearls, you know, needing their smelling salts over schools teaching that there are different sexual orientations. And the instruction that we have from God's word is the complete and total opposite of that. So on the last episode of Survivor Sanctuary, I talked about pastors who post snarky memes on Facebook, um, basically shaming people for not attending church. And I just want to say, you're expending all of this energy to shame people who don't show up on Sunday mornings enough. But when there are hundreds and hundreds of stories in the news every single week about horrifying things that are happening within the church, and there are horrifying things happening within your church as well, if you're a pastor, it's just the reality. And I just find it completely insane that no one is talking about this stuff. And, and when I say no one, I'm talking about the church in general. 
There are plenty of abuse advocates who will point this stuff out, but abuse advocates, whether we like it or not, tend to be outcasts within the church. We just do. And it's it's kind of one of those things that I've never really loved to admit. And I want everybody to like me, people pleaser. Please like me, pastor. Please like me, fellow Christians. Um, but Abuse advocates tend to be outsiders, tend to be shunned in some circles. We tend to kind of be overlooked or people who are like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're always talking about abuse and they're always talking about this and they're always talking about, well, guess what? You're never talking about it. And that's a problem. It's a problem when you're willing to spend all of this energy being outraged about transgender persons and you can't expend any energy being outraged about the fact that people who claim to be Christians are sexually assaulting children. It's not okay in any universe, but it's especially not okay in the kingdom of God. It's especially not okay in the body of Christ. That within the church, we are excusing all these sins. We're just excusing everything, sweeping it under the carpet, pretending it doesn't exist, turning a blind eye, or telling everybody they just need to forgive, or they're not really Christians if they think that a child molester shouldn't be pastoring a church and they're just bitter and angry, if they have a problem with everyone embracing a pedophile as their pastor. Like, we're expending all this energy being furious about things outside of the church, and within the church, we are dead silent on the really horrifying things that are going on. And let me tell you, you want to know why the world wants nothing to do with God? You want to know why the world wants nothing to do with the church? There you have it when we're expending far more energy on a Disney film that talks about a girl going through puberty, but we can't expend any energy when some of the most famous Christians in the world are caught doing horrific things, are caught literally red-handed being wolves in sheep's clothing, and we can say absolutely nothing about it. And I'll never forget particularly when Everything about Ravi Zacharias was in the news. Um, I was following the story from the very beginning when his first accuser came forward and, you know, she was ripped to shreds and she was treated horribly. So I already knew that there was a problem with him. But then more and more and more started coming out and the news broke and it was like the Christians that I know and the Christians that I was seeing online were mourning his death and posting what, uh, you know, how, oh, he's with Jesus now and he's hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm thinking, how can you ignore everything that has come out about this man and everything that points to him actually not being a good and faithful servant, but being a wolf in sheep's clothing and just post about him on Facebook like he's fantastic. But you didn't find evangelical Christians posting about Ravi Zacharias's sins on Facebook. You instead found them saying to anybody who wanted to talk about it, well, the man is dead now and he's not here to defend himself. So how dare we? And these are the same people that you'll find saying, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Like, why are we talking about this? I know like every time Julie Royce posts something about a pastor, she's the author of the Royce Report and posts a lot of articles exposing truth about what's going on within the church, exposing evil within the church. And people get so upset with Julie Royce, man. They're like, you know, why are you doing this? It's like you just want to make the church look terrible. And these are the same people who are going to complain about a Disney movie, or they're going to complain about a transgender athlete, or they're going to complain about something that has nothing to do with the church how evil and horrible it is and how it's going to corrupt all of our children. And I love it too when people pretend they care about pedophilia when they can make it partisan or people 
pretend to care about pedophilia as long as it's outside the church. Oh, Walt Disney was a pedophile. Oh, Disney wants our kids. And, you know, people are pearl clutching now over the fact that Disney's not saying, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, like they've taken gender out of their welcome. And again, not here to tell you that I think that that's fine and it's great. And, you know, I'm in agreement with that. But what I am here to say is as Christians, is that what we're called to focus on? Is the greeting at Disney World the thing that we're supposed to, is that the hill that we're supposed to die on? Is Leah Thomas competing against females the hill we're going to die on? Because according to Paul, according to scripture, the, the scripture that the vast majority of Christians claim to believe is the inerrant word of God, it tells us not to do that. Like in black and white, it's there. Don't do that. Don't concern yourself with judging what happens outside the church. That's God's job. God's going to judge what's going on outside the church. You're to judge what's happening inside. You're to judge those people who are claiming to be brothers and sisters in Christ, but are sexually immoral, idolaters, abusers, drunkards, swindlers. Don't even eat with those people. And we have churches who are not only eating with these people, they're hiring them to be their pastors. I want to know where the pearl clutching is over that. Because you'll excuse a person who claims to be a follower of Christ. Oh, they just had a moment of sin. Oh, they just, you know, fell into sin. How do you fall into sexually abusing children? You don't trip over your shoelaces and, oh, oopsie, I molested a child. That's not the way that it works. But we'll excuse that and we'll say pretty things that are so beautiful and poetic about God's forgiveness and how his mercies are new every morning to excuse, you know, the pastor who, oopsie, sexually assaulted several teen boys and is definitely no longer qualified to be in any kind of church leadership. Like those people will excuse all the while sharpening our pencils or cracking our knuckles to get ready to do some keyboard warrioring on Facebook or wherever it is that we're complaining and bloviating about the evils of a Disney cartoon that is about puberty. Because egads, puberty and the very natural process of a girl getting her period, the very natural process of a young girl dealing with hormones and beginning to experience attraction for the opposite sex, that is evil and terrible. And how dare Disney? But Ravi Zacharias, sexually assaulting employees and preying upon vulnerable women who he's supposed to be discipling, like that's a-okay. And we're not going to say a thing about that on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere else because we need to focus on what the world is doing instead. And it's the literal opposite of what the Bible tells us to do. I'd love to see a group of Christians rise up and say, hey, you know what? It is not only not okay, but it's not safe at all for a convicted child sex offender to be pastoring a church that's full of children. And for the safety of the people in his church and for his own benefit as well to keep him away from the temptation of sexualizing children again and to snatch him from the fire, so to speak, like for his own good, we're going to stand up and say, like, let's write letters to Calvary leadership. Let's write letters to these churches who say, oh, well, each church is autonomous and there's not really anything that we can do. Let's stand up and speak out and make enough noise so that these people start getting kicked out of churches. But we don't see that and we're not going to see it because people are too busy complaining about mask mandates and how, you know, they're just such a violation of everyone's human rights. You know, it, it's okay for a child molester to pastor my church, but it's not okay, bless God, for anybody to mandate that I put a mask on my face to protect anyone from COVID. Again, not sharing with you my opinion about masks or COVID or anything like that, just pointing out the insanity of the things we choose 
to fight within the church, the hills we choose to die on. And I'm 100% confident and positive, church, you are dying on the wrong hills. We are not called anywhere in scripture to fight or infiltrate a government that we think is wrong. We're instructed to clean our own house. (laughs) Like that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to guard. But instead of doing that, uh, several months ago, I think it might have been last year at some point, you saw a giant Calvary Chapel gathering in Washington, D.C., on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial or wherever it was, people just refusing to be silenced about having to wear masks in church or not being allowed to gather as the church believed that people should be allowed to gather. And I just bring that up to say, like, what would it look like? What would the church look like if people stopped freaking out about what the government's doing, stopped freaking out about what the world is doing, what Disney is doing, and started being concerned with what the church is doing, with what we're allowing to go on in our churches? Because in all of these arguments about, oh, teachers shouldn't be allowed to teach about gender or sexual orientation to children, again, not telling you my opinion about that. But imagine if we weren't focused on that, and instead we were focused on, oh, hey, in our church's Christian school, this teacher who sexually assaulted a 13-year-old female student is now the senior pastor of a church. Instead of standing at the Lincoln Memorial or the National Monument or wherever it is to complain that we have to hold church services online or outside or we have to wear masks within our buildings and we don't want to, instead of that, what if we put all of that angry energy into cleaning house and letting child molesters know that yes, God can forgive you, but that does not mean that we have to let you back in our church to sit in the pew, but especially not to stand behind the pulpit. How about let's expend some energy for that? And at the same time, why don't we talk about it? Like, that's what gets me. It's not that nobody has an opinion about any of these things. It's that the church, by and large, is so afraid to talk about anything that they think is going to make the church look bad. It's why you won't find people posting, oh, hey, another pastor caught with child pornography. Oh, hey, another pastor has just been convicted of incest and sexually assaulting his own children. Oh, hey, another pastor. Like, you're not going to find people talking about stuff like that. But why not? Why not exclaim to a world that questions Christians and questions Christianity, why not exclaim as loudly as you can, this is not Jesus Christ. This is not Christianity. People abusing women in their congregations, husbands abusing their wives, pastors, youth pastors, deacons, sexually molesting little children. This is not Christ. It's wrong, and it has no place in our church. Leah Thomas, Disney movies, Disney greetings, whatever it is we're complaining about with Disney this week, that's not our lane. Get back in your lane. God will deal with judging those outside of the church. Your job is to expel the wicked man from among you. Not give him a pastorate and say, even though you molested kids, I'd trust my own children with you like I'd trust my own mother. What a moron, respectfully. Okay, there's no way to say that respectfully, but that woman is a moron. Like, I'm totally a thousand percent comfortable saying that. Bill Bjorkman and no pastor ever, no deacon, no youth pastor, no Sunday school teacher, nobody's tripping over their shoelaces and having sex with children. That's not what's happening. They're living a life of extreme and deep deception, a deception that can really only be described 
as a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's the kind of deception that you're looking at. With such a man, do not even eat. We're not only eating with these men, we're restoring them to the fellowship, patting them on the back and being like, hey, buddy, we all sin. You know, I cuss in traffic sometimes. Yeah, I get mad when I stub my toe. Sometimes I say words I shouldn't. Yeah, I, I, I lusted after my girlfriend once before we were married. Like, yeah, you know, I sin too. So yeah, we know that you sexually assaulted some preteen boys, but you know, we still feel like God loves you and you can be our pastor. Get the heck out of here with that. Get back in your lane. Stop ignoring what's going on right in front of your nose so that you can complain about the transgender swimmers of the world. Choose a better and more scriptural hill to die on. And that's what I've got for you this week on Survivor Sanctuary. Just needed to get that off my chest. The last several episodes have been kind of rants, if you will, but things that I'm just really passionate about and so tired of seeing over and over and over again. I'm so sick of it. I'm sick to death of going on social media and seeing people pearl clutching over Disney movies and transgender swimmers and schools teaching sexual orientation while we're perfectly fine with the Bill Bjorkmans of the church world, with the Hillsongs of the church world, with all of the disgusting crap that's going on in front of our noses all the time. Why are we silent? I promise you that Jesus would not be. He wouldn't. Well, that's it. My blood pressure is high enough for one episode, so I'm going to say goodbye. I'll catch you back here next time on Survivor Sanctuary. See you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.